0: hello and welcome to the anchor podcast a ministry of rock harbor church we want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the lord by providing an in-depth study of god's word so please grab your bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity here's pastor brandon with this week's message let's pray father thank you lord for this opportunity to come tonight and uh, study your word and look at even current events that are going on in the world But right now, as we dig down into your word about how to survive perilous times, the things that we're in and enduring right now, help us to take the heart, to live it out, and to apply it to our lives. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so now we are moving. We talked about uh, love last time and the aspects of love that uh, you have to do to endure and, and be able to survive perilous times, and, and now we're gonna move on to what's called perseverance, and uh, I did all this last week, so let me get to the new thing. So perseverance, and, and it, again, these are the, the traits that Paul was telling Timothy, how he persevered, how he got through hard times, and these are the aspects that, that he went through um, with Timothy to say, hey look, you can do the same thing. So we're going through perilous times. We're, a lot of the things that are ahead of us are very perilous. We're, we're entering an age of things we've never seen. Uh, I'll just give you an example of things I've never seen before. I have never seen, that go, like going to, uh, last night to a board meeting uh, for the, the current uh, uh, superintendent of schools, I, I, I've never seen the fact that we would even have a discussion about parental uh, um, you know, uh, uh, authority, being maligned by a school or a teacher or something. I mean, I, I can't even believe I'm having this conversation. Are we really talking about this? And that's what we call perilous times because that's actually demonic. And I don't want to go in there because there's like half the crowd in there is demonic. Um, and you don't want to call them all demonics and, and y- yada, 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 but I mean, it, it truly is because the the fact that you want to separate kids from their parents, it, it is extremely demonic. But you gotta be careful what you say in a public forum like that and you gotta make sure you say the right things. But I walk away with it, and just come away shaking my head, saying, "If anyone doesn't believe we're in perilous times, you're 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 out to lunch. I mean, this is insane what they're doing." And tonight, I have more insane things to show you in the second part. But you know, how are we going to get through this? Well, one of the things is perseverance, and um, um, the Greek word is "hupomene." and uh, basically it means like a steadfastness, a constancy, an endurance under, uh, under the, like the greatest of trials and sufferings that you know, this person um, can endure a lot, they're like a rock, um, and you know, no matter what they go through, they can deal with it. Okay, well it's one thing to say that we need that, it's one, but it's another thing of how do I get there? Because perseverance is a very difficult uh, virtue to, to hold to. And uh, because, especially under suffering, especially under trials, um, you know, I, I, you can almost see the human element in you that th- the things are so evil, you, you feel like, you know what? Um, I, I don't see the point of, of this. I mean, you, you know, you look at these knuckleheads on a board, and I'm not saying all of them are like that. I mean, because, you know, they're, they're Cisneros and, and Mary Little are fantastic. Um, but you look at these knuckleheads on this board that, that we saw last night, and you're like, these people are never changing their minds. They're like cemented in to their final self before they go into eternity. And, 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 and you, you just, you, it's like, you, you think like you're banging your head against the wall. But at the same time, you have, what you have to understand is that's the nature of evil. The nature of evil wants you to quit, okay? It, the nature of evil wants you to surrender just say, yeah, you're right, we might as well throw in the towel and give up and, and, and retreat. And that's the problem, is that people won't persevere, they won't push through, and they give up and they surrender too quickly, and evil takes over. So what, what's happened, like uh, for like, the whole culture, um, what has happened is Christianity in America has retreated f- from the fight. Christianity won't get into the fight. That's why you have churches that won't say a, a, a bloomin' thing about even what's going on, not only locally but nationally or globally. And uh, I, mean, I was on the, an interview uh, yesterday with Tom Hughes, and someone uh, called in, or I called in, or, or they typed their response in on the interview live while we were doing it, and they said, "Brandon, you know what? what, what would you describe? Uh, would you consider a remnant church, a, a, a church that teaches?" from Genesis to Revelation, teaches the whole counsel of God. But, and here's the but, doesn't talk about current events, doesn't talk about what's going on. And I said, well, I would consider them a remnant church, yes and no. Yes, okay, they they have their theology straight and they're teaching the Bible, but they're not doing their job of warning and preparing their flocks by, by by not telling them what's going on around them. And, and, and for a pastor or a church not to do that is signaling the white flag. We're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to have our holy huddle and, and not concern ourselves with the community that's going to hell in a handbasket. So I, don't, I wouldn't put them on my church tracker is how I answered that. Um, and, 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 and quite frankly, there's tons of churches like that. You know, they, 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 they will not get involved, they will not get engaged, and, and because of that retreat, because of that lack of perseverance, we've lost the culture. That's the proof of what we're talking about, of not persevering. You have to persevere all the way to the end. And, and, and you, don't, you don't ever give up the fight until Jesus either calls you home in death or he calls you home in the rapture. That's it. You're always fighting, to whatever degree you can, as far as your health is concerned or whatnot. So, <clears throat> then the question then becomes, well then, how do I get this perseverance? How, how, how can I stay in the fight and not lose hope and not lose, you know, uh, you know throw in the white towel and, and, and say I surrender because these people are crazy, they're, they're, they're imbeciles, they're evil? Because um, when you do that, you give the, up the ground. How do you continue to fight? Well, it comes down to this, it it comes down to your heart, and it comes down to what kind of heart you have, okay? And the greatest example is this parable that the Lord spoke. Now, this parable is called the parable of the four soils. Unfortunately, it's usually mistranslated because of Calvinists putting their presuppositions into the text, but I'll, I'll teach it from exactly how it should be taught. Uh, from a biblical perspective and not an Arminian or a Calvinistic standpoint where they read into this. So this this parable comes in the, uh, the mystery kingdom parables, okay? And just again, anytime I reference the mystery kingdom parables, there are parables to describe our age, to describe the age in which we will live in while the kingdom has been rescinded and is on, uh, on delay until Israel gets their act together. So we're in what's called the mystery kingdom. It's the invisible kingdom, and the kingdom of God is found within the person's heart. It's not a, it's not a physical kingdom. We await for a physical kingdom, and it will uh, one day dawn after the second coming, and then Messiah, that's after, uh, obviously, Israel comes to faith in them, and then Messiah will rule and reign from Jerusalem, obviously, and that's a literal kingdom, but we're in now what's called the mystery kingdom. And see these are called mystery kingdom parables. There's actually nine of them in the text. The funny thing is the first seven actually match the, the, the first seven churches of the Revelation. So when you, if you want to study the seven churches of Revelation, use them and then match the first seven parables and they actually go hand in hand and give you more detail about the church age and what will occur during that period of time. It's a fascinating study. But let's just look at this parable. This is the parable of the four soils. So the question here, contextually, is this. Israel is not responding. That's what's in the context. And Israel has actually rejected the Messiah year one and a half. And so this is why he goes into the mystery kingdom parables because now Israel's gonna be put on hold and it's gonna be delayed. And so one of the questions that they had back then to him and even in the early church is, hey, what's this deal? Uh, is it that, that the word of God failed? It's, because it's, it's, uh, it promised that the kingdom is coming, the, the, you know, Messiah is gonna rule and reign, and, and what, what happened here? And that was the big question. Well, this parable answers it, and it's, it's this. It's not the failure of the word of God that has happened to Israel. The failure has to do with their hearts, okay? And so then, he, that's why he gives this parable. And so the issue is, how come people don't persevere? How come they don't don't have guts uh, and steel in their soul to fight evil? What is it? It has to do with their heart. So he talks about this, and he explains this. So let's read it. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some of hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, obviously, when he told them this, they didn't understand what he was saying. And a lot of times when he spoke in the parables, and this is when he goes into parabolic mode because of the rejection of Israel, he will, he will veil truth uh, to Israel, and, then, and the, the disciples will hear it, and then he will have to go on the side and explain it to them in plain language, because he stopped speaking plainly at this point uh, in Israel's history. He now will go into parabolic mold, which is prophesied by Isaiah. Okay, so now here we come to the interpretation of Messiah explaining the parable, and this is where we, we want to drill down. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Okay? So, One of the things that we understand about this this parable is that the seed is going on uh, the road and then uh, this this bird comes and snatches it away. So the interpretation of the bird is it's a, a, a satanic emissary. It's a demonic emissary. It's a fallen angel that comes and snatches away that truth that tried to be put into the heart of the individual. So if the, the individual hears the word of God, is what he's trying to say, and doesn't receive it, then the enemy can snatch that away and can deceive him, blind him. The God of this world has blinded them, and they won't receive it. And, and that's what you, you you start seeing in the culture is no matter if you're talking about Jesus being the way of salvation or you're talking about one of the teachings of Jesus, right? whether it's... Uh, you know, uh, the, one of the teachings of Jesus would be, you know, that, you, know you should not uh, murder, so abortion would be wrong. So if anyone reels up against that, it's because they're not receiving the word. They're not receiving the truth, and they're rejecting it. But every time they keep rejecting it, Satan keeps stealing it away, stealing it away. And he keeps blinding them and blinding them, and they also blind themselves to it. Because the more they suppress the truth, the more they go blind. And so they blind themselves and Satan, the god of this world, works on them as well. So you have a double blinding happen to the individual for rejecting truth. So that's what he's trying to say. So he says the wicked one comes and snatches away. That's what he's referring to. So the birds in in that represent that aspect of the demonic or fallen angels. That person, as you can see, had no life. There's nothing that came to life, right, in that person. It was on the ground, it never took root, it never uh, busted out with life. So that person is unsaved, okay? So that's what we're talking about. Okay, let's go to the next one. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of what, the word, Immediately he stumbles. So let's talk about this individual. So this individual, unfortunately, by Calvinists and Arminians are misinterpreted and they say this guy's not a believer. But in fact, it is, he is a believer because in the parable, anytime the seed is given out and life springs from it, that means the person is born again. So three of the four of the individuals in the parable are saved. It's the first one that's not saved. This one is saved, but what's his problem? Well, he says, he hears the word of God, receives it with joy. He's all for it. He sits, in, he sits right there next to you in the pew and says, Amen, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. And he sconches, right? We call that in old preacher language when someone says amen and hallelujah, they're sconching. Um, anyway, those are the people who are affirming, uh, yes, that's true. Amen, right. But what happens? But he has no root in him of, of himself, in himself. But he endures only for a while. So that's the idea that um, he, he is on rocky ground. He can't go deep. Now, the endure thing is, they can only endure for a while, but like he said, when tribulation or persecution comes, this individual can't take it. They retreat, okay, and why? It's it's not even so much Jesus that that, that they retreat from, it's they retreat from what? Because of the word, okay? So a lot of people say, and this is the out for them, and their churches that retreat, because there's a lot of churches and pastors that fit category number two. They don't have good roots, and they can't get in the fight, they're too scared. They're too afraid to get into the fight. And so when persecution comes, that's what they're afraid of. And they don't want to put their necks on the line. They want to be called a homophobe. They want to call a transphobe or whatever it is because they don't have deep roots. In order to stand up to evil, you must have deep roots. These Christians can't. They just can't because when the heat's on, they run. They run. They can't take it. Now think about this, I'll give you some examples of degrees of of not being able to take the heat, so to speak. It's because of the word, it's because of the word, okay? So it starts off with little compromises in the word. Well I don't want to upset them, it's gonna make them mad, and I don't want to be looked at this way, yada, yada, yada. And it starts very little, but that's a person that's evidencing to you they can't take the heat, okay? And quite frankly, uh, even before that, what you'll start realizing is a lot of times they can't take even life struggles, okay? We talk about the, the millennials, I know we, we, we beat up on them a lot, but why do they have to have safe spaces? Do you know why? Because they were taught a fragility, emotional fragility, that's what happened. And, and they never were taught to be tough in life to deal with the hardships of life. In fact, no one around them ever wanted them to feel any toughness and hardships of life. And so when they were padded, and so when now they become an adult, they have to have safe spaces, and they, 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 they have microaggressions against them all the time, and they're triggered all the time. And again, why is that? It's because they're not, they're not taught how to endure hardship. So right there, even off the bat, of how you were even raised, uh, becomes the first step into how you can persevere, and then if you can 't deal with the hardships of life, how are you going to deal when you 're like telling the truth to somebody and they 're going to flip out on you or get upset with you, and you can see what what 's happening so a lot of um, the stats show that the younger evangelicals actually don 't want to evangelize anymore they don 't want to they think it 's proselytizing, and so evangelism is like horrible. Absolutely horrible among younger evangelicals. Because why, they don't want to confront. They don't want to talk the truth about even salvation so, by, by Jesus being the only way. Well, for goodness sakes, man, if you're gonna cave on, on Jesus being the only way, what makes you think you're gonna be able to fight any other battle? It's like Joel Osteen going on Larry King, do you remember that interview? Larry King threw up a softball question as an interviewer. Is Jesus the only way, And if and if so, uh, do people go to uh, hell if they don't accept them? Well, Larry, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to judge. And, and 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 with his Joker smile, he just couldn't answer the question. And and it's like, yeah, you're the kind of Christian that can't endure. You have shallow roots because if you had deeper roots, you could say the truth in love and. You deal with the consequences and the chips fall where they may. And so immediately they stumble, he says. That's why they don't fight. So, so based on that, that kind of Christian, this is the problem we have in America. This is why when we go to board meetings we don't see a lot of Christians from other churches there. We don't. This is why the, the, the pregnancy centers in town don't have a lot of people helping them. They have some, but not all. So where are they? What are they doing? Why, why are some churches not evangelizing anymore? They just totally cut that out completely out of their repertoire. How do you do, how do, you do that? Because we don't want to offend anybody as is a the, is the mentality. And so what you're, you're looking at is not only just individual Christians, this is a problem globally in first world countries. You don't see this problem at all in third world countries where Christians are. Because in in those kinds of environments, you are forced to grow. You are forced to get deep roots. Because if not, you will not survive. And so you're forced in those environments. But here, you're not. So you know, People come here and, and, and they, they want to try Rock Harbor out because we're a new church and they see it, but the first thing they come in here and all of a sudden I'm, ha- I'm, I'm delivering steaks instead of meat and they flip out and they, uh, they walk out. We had people walk out just because they saw the prophecy update, they couldn't take it. I'm like, wow, how emotionally fragile are you uh, that you can't even take the news clips of the day. I mean, what, go, go get you some P- uh, Play-Doh and puppies and, and go console yourself because you don't want to know what's going on in the world? Wow, that's bad. But I'm, I'm sure you'll find a church that will never talk about any con- uh, current events around, the, around here. Go ahead and find them, but we're not that place. But this is what happens. And so this has been the problem Okay, so he goes, now he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. So the interpretation is life sprang up in this individual. Life sprang up. And because of the thorns and thistles that it grew up in, which represented the cares of this world, and really what it represents is affluence, that the affluence that this kind of believer got themselves into made them more concerned about the cares of this world, about what they were doing, their agenda, having a good time, they're building their empire, yada, yada, yada. And that became more of a, 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 a concern for them rather, obviously, than God and his agenda, and that produces unfruitfulness. Okay? And 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 quite frankly, this is a lot of problems with affluence. Affluence, affluence doesn't help a lot of people. Very few people can handle affluence. <clears throat> they get a little money, and it just takes them right away from God. And uh, and you know, I've seen it too many too many times. Um, and it's dangerous sometimes because. You know, People get to a point in their lives and they're making a little bit more money than they ever have. They're at the peak of their game. They're making good money and they got a lot of freedom. Well, be careful about that freedom. That freedom will take you away from Christ because, okay, now we have a chance to do this and we have a chance. And they're gone all the time. I mean, we have had to get rid of deacons because they, had, they were so affluent, apparently, that every weekend they were out doing trips every weekend. And I'm not, I'm not against someone having a vacation, but every weekend cannot be a vacation. Every weekend you cannot go wine tasting to Napa Valley every weekend. You think I'm making that up, don't you? I'm not making it up. And, and it was like, well, we're stressed out. Yeah, no kidding, I am too. We're all stressed out. That doesn't mean I take a vacation every, every weekend. But you know what's going on? Why could they do that? Affluence, affluence, start adding that up. Or they get enough money, well, we're just gonna buy a beach home, or we're gonna buy a home somewhere in the mountains, or whatever it might be, and we've lost plenty of people to their beach homes, we've lost plenty of people to their cabins in the mountains, we've lost plenty of those people. And it's like, well, well, the cabin, was the beach house a blessing or a curse, if it took you away? I think it was a curse in your case. It's not, again, it's not about a, a, a vow of poverty. It's not talk, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm just talking that riches can take you away. They give you the abilities to do things. So for instance, I'll give you another thing, club sports. Club sports has been a killer for young families. But my thing is, how can you afford that? You have to have money to be able to do club sports. So I had a deacon one time come to me and said he was gonna be gone for the next six months because his daughter was put in some club volleyball thing and they had to drive to Anaheim every weekend so that she could play club volleyball down in Anaheim. Okay, so if you do the math and you add it up that you're gonna have a hotel, you're gonna have to buy all your food, then you add your gas, and you're going to do this every weekend for the next six months, that's what you're telling me. Well, you, you must have a grip of money to be able to do that because I don't know too many people that have that kind of money that can go every weekend, stay in hotels, buy eat out all the time, and then come home and never be at church. I, I don't understand that. And then when I, we, we said, you can't be a deacon, I can't believe you, you asked, you, 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 I can't be a deacon. I said, well, you're in leadership. What do you think? You have to be here. But it was, uh, it was, I was like talking Greek to the guy. It, it didn't make sense. So what did he choose? He chose to be the volleyball, uh, soccer parent, whatever, and caravan down every weekend. And, and here's the thing. Where are they today? Nowhere. Is their daughter playing you know, some pro thing? No, it, they don't. No, they never made it. It was a pipe dream. Okay, it was a pipe dream. And you want to tell these parents, hey man, do you have an honest evaluation of your child? You're, you, you're wanting your child to be uh, Mrs. Volleyball. She's five, zero. Does anyone have a clue? You have to be like 6'4. Six 6'5, six you have to be above. You can't be five foot and play volleyball. What are you thinking? Oh, she's going pro. Unbelievable. So I, I've had people in baseball do the same thing. They have some money and they're going to do the, the, the club sport. I had a guy at 10 years old, the kids at 10 years old, tell me that, that he's going to be the next Dodger. Serious, man. I'm like, this guy's out of his mind. And you just, yeah, ha ha. He's like, what are you crazy? What are you crazy? But then they have the money and they, they do all this stuff and then it takes them away. It takes them away. So be careful. So what happens to a lot of Christians in America is they do not want to lose a worldly advantage for their kid. They don't want to lose that, they really don't. And so they will play the game to have that worldly advantage, to get into Harvard, to get into Stanford, or whatever, and they will pay a very high price doing it because they will have to take their kid away sometimes from Jesus, and that's not how it works. That's just not how it works. But affluence does that. And they will say, I've heard them say this, when it's all over, we'll come back. And guess what? They don't. I've heard those promises before as a pastor. They don't come back. Because they, 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 they feel so ashamed of what they did. To show their face to somebody that knows what they did, they're not about to do that. Come on. They got a safe face so they go to another church or they go wherever so, so no one knows their history of what they did. Now again, my kids played sports, your kids play sports, I'm not anti-sport, my kids play uh, and all that. But I didn't, let, I didn't let them play on Sundays. I stopped it, I said you're not doing that. Tell the coach you can't do it. And the parents act like they're at the mercy of the coaches, well they're having practice on Sunday. So what, tell the coach I can't come. What's the problem? Why can't you put the boundary on the coach? because of worldly advantage, that's why. It's worldly advantage. They want some type of worldly advantage. And if you play that game, it's gonna take you away. Be very careful. Here's the thing, if you don't sacrifice for the Lord and make that commitment, you ever see chairs of Fire? Now I'm not for understanding that Sunday's the Sabbath. The Sabbath never changed. The Sabbath is always Saturday, but remember Eric little he wouldn't run in the Olympics on Sunday. Remember that and'm I'm, I'm not saying Sunday's the Sabbath, so that's, that's a whole Presbyterian thing that he had. but nonetheless, the whole point is he's willing to sacrifice in chariots of fire the race so he can honor god that's 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 very rare that someone would sacrifice and actually hurt their worldly advantage so they can honor God. That's the problem with this individual. You can never build ministry off this individual. Do you know why? Because you never can pin them down. They have too much money and they're always busy doing things and they're going here and going there and this and that. So you never can use them in ministry. You can't because they can't commit to anything. In fact, they don't want to commit to anything because they have so many other things that's on the agenda for themselves to do. So if the agenda is to take the boat to the lake on Sunday, they're going to do that. They will always choose that. I was talking to a pastor in Oregon uh, Calvary, at a Calvary chaplain I was speaking at, and, he was, and, and apparently in Oregon it rains all the time in, in ungodly amounts, and he was saying that... Um, if you have a Sunday where it doesn't rain, no one won't come to church. They just won't come. It's because they're gonna enjoy their day in the sun because it's not raining. And I thought, wow, that's just very, so superficial that it's, their attendance is based on weather. And you're like, wow, okay, that's, that's crazy. But anyway, this is what can happen. And what is the end time church called? Laodicea, right? But what's Laodicea's problem? Laodicea's problem is affluence. And their affluence makes them think they're blessed of God and obviously we've read uh, uh, the passage of of Laodicea. They're, they're, They're blind to their own spiritual condition. And so obviously they're useless. We've talked about useless. But if you're useless and the Lord can't use you, just like what this passage says, you become unfruitful. You don't produce anything. You just exist. And, and there's no rewards for that. Okay, so now let's move to t- verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Notice what's happening. Look at the phases. I hear it, and to understand it means I'm metabolizing it. I'm actually taking it in. I'm understanding this for what it says. Okay, You can hear the word of God and not understand it, and refuse to understand it, but this person takes it in and is understanding it and applying it is the implication. How do I know they apply it? Because it bears fruit and produces some 100 fold, some 60, some 30. Ah, there we go. So, the key then of perseverance is how receptive my heart is to the word of God and how much I metabolize it in order to apply it so I can actually produce fruit. Okay, so that implies something. That implies that this type of believer is a truth seeker, okay? And there's a difference between just a believer that's existing, they've got their fire insurance, versus a believer that's drilling down and becoming a truth seeker. Because here's what happens as they're hearing things of the word of God, whether it's being taught or preached or whatever, or they're reading it or whatever, what's gonna start hitting them is conviction in what the word of God is saying to them. And that conviction is they're gonna understand what that conviction means. Like, oh my goodness, that's me. That's what, start, that's what the Holy Spirit starts doing. That's you, Brandon. That's, when you hear that, that's, that's what you need to fix. That needs to stop. That needs to, to quit. Okay, and all of a sudden, you have this conviction. Well, what are you supposed to do with the conviction? You're supposed to do it. You're supposed to say, all right, I need to stop, or I need to do this, or I need to do that. And you apply, and then it produces fruit. The person that James is warning about, and especially in the other two uh, individuals, he says there's people, there's believers, who are always hearing, but not doers of the word of God. See, this one's a doer of the word of God. They actually put it into play. But hearers of the word, which I would put on the first two, they hear the word of God, they sit there, and they sit there month after month, week after week, year after year, and they never self-apply, ever. They just keep hearing. They have a lot of content and they know a lot and they can definitely tell other people about their issues but they can't fix themselves. Because why? They refuse to apply personally what the word of God is telling them. Now that person is, is, is self-deceived. There's no doubt about that. But they think because they're gaining content that they're actually getting more spiritual which is a lie. You are not more spiritual by gaining knowledge. I mean, you can know how many uh, 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 angels dance on the head of a pin, or, it, or uh, you could probably know theologically whether or not Adam had a belly button or not. But if you don't apply it, it's not to make a hill of beans. And so there's a lot of Christians that are actually fooling themselves, thinking they're a hearer of the word of God, but they're not a doer, because they're gaining in content. Let me tell you what content does if you don't apply it. Content will actually make make you puffed up. It makes you prideful. It it, it makes you arrogant. It makes you a know-it-all, right? So you can tell us, you know, uh, you know, uh, all about the hypostatic union of the Messiah. You can tell us about superlepsarianism or, uh, uh, or whatever you know theological construct that you have read about in a book. That's fine and dandy, but I wanna know this. How do you apply that? I was talking to a lady one time, and I, I don't mean to disparage some of the, the teaching programs out there in the community, but there's one particular, and I can't remember what it's called, BSF or something like that, and I don't mean to, to upset anybody, but maybe this was the person's own issue. They they told me they had been to this all-women's Bible study, and, and uh there's you know it was an in-depth Bible study, and they were going at it, and they spent the whole semester on the Sermon on the Mount. I said, It's awesome, man. That's great. It's a good study. So they spent the whole time, a whole semester doing it, and she was as proud as a peacock for all the, the, the conjunctions she had circled and, and all the buts and all the this and all the that, and so her pages were all marked up, and she had done a lot of work with a highlighter, obviously. And then I asked her one question. So tell me, after a semester, what's the, what's the, why was Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount? crickets, crickets, crickets. You catching the drift? She couldn't tell me. I said, so you spent the entire semester learning about the Sermon on the Mount and you don't know what it means? I guess I missed that one, she said. And I said, so like, what, what was the point of your study, and like how would you apply the Sermon on the Mount, and stuff like that? She didn't know, but she could tell me how many conjunctions were in the text. What, what's that? You spin your wheels studying, and you don't even know the big idea? You don't even realize what Messiah is doing on the Sermon on the Mount when he's actually the prophesied teacher of the law is here and now is going to tell you the, all, the actual intent of Mosaic law, that it's not external, it's also internal as well. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. How did you miss that? That was his whole point. He was explaining to Israel the law how it should be properly interpreted and not as the Pharisees are interpreting it as outwardly only. Totally missed it, totally missed it. So if you don't know the intent or the purpose of like the Sermon on the Mount, how in the world could you ever apply it? Because if you don't know what things mean, then you don't know the principle and then you won't know the application. So I was talking to an individual that was just dumbfounded in the fact that she didn't know the intent and therefore it implied. I said, you can't apply it then. You don't know how to apply it if you don't know the intent. And the big thing is when you're reading the scriptures, you got to know authorial intent. It's called authorial intent. What is the author's intent? Why is he writing this? What is the audience? Who is he talking to? What's the problem that he's correcting usually? And, and, and they didn't know that. So here, here's my point. There are Bible studies after Bible studies after Bible studies that do that. The person walks away with content but doesn't have any application and hence will not bear fruit. This explains why Christians can go years upon years going to church and Bible study and never growing, ever. They just keep repeating, Year one, like 30 times every year. They just keep repeating and repeating and repeating because they never get to the application. So this is the good soil. Now, once the individual is now applying things into their lives, they start growing. And then they start realizing what it is to grow. And every time they grow, they get a little whiff of freedom. And then they get that whiff of freedom. They want more. And then that causes the motivation to keep digging more and more and more. And so their learning is not about how much knowledge they can get. Their learning is coming so that they can become free to become more like Christ. And then true fruit actually comes from that dynamic. And so... They're, they're hungry for the word of God because they want to change. Not because they want to lord it over others because they have so much knowledge. It's because this can change you. This actually frees you up. And then it produces fruit. And notice how, what kind of fruit. A hundredfold, some 60, some 30. What, why does he say that? Look at the amounts. hundredfold, 60, and 30. What he's saying is this, this is exponential, like fruit, exponential. It's it's not like, okay, I just produced a little bit. He's saying, once you do this, you're able to do things that's not even possible, humanly speaking. And and, and the kind of fruit that will come from you is beyond your capabilities, that you, you can do yourself. Why is that? Why why would my fruit be at the exponential level on a supernatural level if I grow? What's happening? Because the, the power of the Holy Spirit as I am yielding to him in my obedience is actually flowing out through me and giving me the ability to do the supernatural. Even though I myself am not supernatural, the Holy Spirit inside me is doing that. So if I'm teaching or I'm preaching, my words are coming out and the Holy Spirit will take those and apply it to people. And he he uses that, that gifting, and you'll be able to say things that you couldn't necessarily say on your own. He will help and guide you. And he will help you do things that you couldn't endure and, and, and persevere. And so what starts happening is you start living in ways that are beyond your capabilities which are supernatural, okay? You're producing fruit on a supernatural level because the Holy Spirit's working in you. Plus, your spiritual gifts are not your natural gifts. Your spiritual gifts are supernatural gifts that are given to you at salvation. Those gifts, if used properly, give you the ability to do supernatural things I mean, I'm not talking about hocus-pocus. I'm not talking about, you know, the hyper-charismatic movement stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ability to effectively minister to people on a supernatural level. Uh, and that's what the gifts are for. They're for the edification of the, of, of the saints. That's what all the gifts are geared for, whether, whether it's a gift of helps or gift of administration or a gift of teaching or whatever gift you have. It's geared on a supernatural level to produce results. And that's why he talks about a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Okay, that being the case then, you wanna be this kind of person, obviously, that grows. A couple caveats I wanna put on there before we, we close shop, um, and I would say this. What does fertile ground look like? There's a, some other things I would add to it. Receptivity of the word, obviously that's found in the text. Discipline, and this is what separates the men from the boys, so to speak. Um, To be a disciple means a disciplined one. It's inherent in the name disciple, that the person is a disciplined one. And what this means is that I have to be disciplined in my spiritual walk with the Lord, not only from the outside, but also from the inside. And what we find out when we're talking with people and as they're growing is they will lack an inward discipline. And what do I mean by that? They lack the ability to self-regulate themselves. They lack the ability to control themselves. Controlling oneself is a major issue, okay? Usually, people young in the faith can't control themselves. So what we, we tell them to do in counseling is, well, if, what we need to start is putting an outward control on you and then you will learn outward control, and then that will affect your inward control, okay? So we start outwardly, and that's how everyone needs to start. You start outwardly controlling yourself by putting uh, boundaries around yourself, by putting hedges around yourself, uh, knowing that you can get out of control. You put, most of the time, something around your mouth so it doesn't shoot off, uh, that's a major problem that people keep shooting their mouths off and saying stupid things. Well, if you can't control your tongue, as James says, it's going to light up the whole world with a, like a fire. And so that's an outward control. So the, the key is, if I can't control myself inward, which means I don't have a moral framework in which to, to, to put all these virtues on, I must start with the outward. I must start with an outward framework of discipline. Well, what do you mean? Well, you must have it if you if like. Say, I'm going to study the word. What's your discipline in studying the word? What is it? Do you have one, or it's this non-existent, or you do it when you feel like it? A disciplined one says, "No, at this point, I do this in my do- my daily life. It's an outward thing, and I do it. I pray at this certain time. That's when I do it. I go to Bible study. I go to church. I go to this. And so, what you start realizing is." To get the inward structure, you have to have an outward structure of discipline. What do you do, okay? You can use athletic uh, ideas about discipline in order to play a game. You have to be disciplined, you can't be undisciplined. It's the same concept. So what will happen, though, is if you start putting the outward discipline on you and you start functioning that way, what it creates inside of you is another structure that's internal that actually is an internal discipline to the point that you will just automatically do it because it becomes habit forming. But if you lack that, you have to start outwardly. And so a lot of people I talk to, we have to start outwardly, and we have to put outward controls. But the goal is that you're inwardly disciplined, that it's, it's, it, it's part of you, it's, it's how you function. You don't even have to think about it. You just automatically do it. You know how to control your mouth. You know how to control this. You know how to, how to guard yourself in this area and it's just automatic. So you start with the outward work on the, and that works on the inward later on. Spiritual poverty is a necessity. What do you mean, Brandon? Well, here's the thing. Why People will come up to me and say, when I read the Bible I'm, I'm, I'm bored or I, I can't understand it. And I'm like, well, either one, you're dyslexic or you have a reading problem or what is it? I don't know, but what do you mean you're bored? What do you mean you can't understand it? It's written at a fourth grade level. What do you mean? What you start realizing is when the person says, I'm bored when I read the Bible or I'm not getting anything out of it, is the person doesn't understand their spiritual poverty. That's the problem. And in and, and order to, to, to want the, the truth in you so you can change, you have to have a need. You have, to, you have to feel your need. You have to experience your need, that you're, you're broken or bent and there's parts in you that need be, to be fixed. And if you don't understand that, you won't have a need. It's just like going to a doctor, for goodness sakes. You break your leg, you have a need. And you, I can guarantee you what you're gonna do when you broke, you broke your leg, you're gonna run to the emergency and get it set. Well, what happens spiritually if your leg is broke, so to speak? You just sit there with your leg broke? A lot of people do. Their legs are broke spiritually and they just sit there. They won't get help. And what happens is, is what they don't have a spiritual hunger. Well, how do, you li- how do you fan the flame? How do you light that up? You have to do some soul searching and understand how spiritually poor you are, okay? Spiritual poverty means I can't do this on my own. I'm messed up. There's a sin nature in me that's jacking me around and I, I, I have to get control of this thing and plus there's parts in me that are not working properly, there's bent parts, there's broken parts, there's places in me that need healing and uh, that pain needs to be resolved. Yeah, if you know that about yourself, it says I need to get fixed and where am I gonna get fixed? Well, this will tell me. And I go directly to it. So I will, I will hunt that answer down just like I would look for a medical cure if I had cancer, right? That, that's the hunger. And so if you, you feel like you're lacking the hunger, like, ah, it's just boring. No, no, it's because you don't know your spiritual poverty because if you did, you would be all over this. You'd be in and out of it and you, it would be constantly on your mind about how do I fix this, what am I doing here? And here's one thing, what people don't understand. When you read the Bible, you, you, you read it for content, there's no doubt about it, but you also read it for your need as well. Why are you reading this? Do you know what, what's happening here? What's, what about you is in the text? What is the text saying about you? And what, the, what's, what you're starting to realize when you read, you're reading for your, your deprivations. You're reading for your poverty and you say, okay, I have this problem. Okay, there I see it in the, in the blind man, or there I see it in the, in the lame man, or there I see it there. there I, you're looking and you see yourself in it, and that lights everything up. That makes everything come alive because it's you. He's talking about you. You're the person in the text he's talking about. So it, 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 it takes on a different role when you see your spiritual poverty. <clears throat> Another thing, quit repeating things that have no spiritual effect. And spiritualizing them. What do you mean? Well, Christians do a lot of funny things to make them feel that they're spiritual, but in effect, what they do is actually doesn't do anything. They just keep repeating it, but it's actually not having them to grow. It doesn't work the way they're doing things. And this could be unhealthy relationships. It could be you know uh, not putting proper boundaries on people or whatever it might be. But but they do things and it's not producing any effect. So something's wrong. So when someone tells me, hey man, I'm not getting anything out of that Bible study that I went to or I'm not getting anything out of the sermons, well what's wrong with you? What, 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 there's, there's something you're doing that's causing you not to have any spiritual effect and you gotta stop doing that, whatever it is. And it could be anything. Maybe the person's daydreaming, I don't know. Maybe the person has other interests, I don't know. Maybe they can't focus, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe they're mad, maybe they're angry at God, I don't know. But the issue has to be cleared up because if you keep doing something over and over again, what, what do they say about that? And you're getting no results, what, do you, what is that called? Insanity. Right, You keep doing the same things over and over again and you're not getting any results. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about pragmatism. I'm just talking about like if you look at your spiritual life and you're like, I'm not gaining, I'm not growing, I, and I don't know why, well you're not doing something right. Something's not happening. Maybe you won't give up unforgiveness, I don't know. And something's stopping you in that growth. If you can't control your mouth, I, I don't know, something's not, do, something's not happening. Whatever you're doing and you're repeating it, it's not working. It's not working. And so every Christian has to evaluate, am I really dealing with this so that I can change? And if I'm not seeing change, I I, I would say if I'm not seeing change within six months, to some degree, uh, I better rethink what I'm doing. Maybe it's not working right. I don't know. Maybe I'm not reading the Bible correctly. I don't know. Maybe I'm not getting counseling. Maybe I need counseling. I don't know. Stay consistent with your identity in Christ. And that's a big thing. So in order to grow, in order to do and produce, you have to know who you are. So if you do not know who you are, then how do you know what to do? So it's a logical thing. So Christians don't know their identities many times. They hear about the identity in Christ, but you understand your identity in Christ is like, I don't know, 75, something like that, maybe 80 different points that God makes about you of who you are in him. And it's your identity. This is your true self. Your new nature and and how God sees you. He talks about your positions. He talks about everything. And if you don't know that, then you won't stay consistent with it. So, like, for instance, let's, let's, let's understand our position. You're a priest and you're a king. That's your positions. What does that mean, though? How do you apply that? Well, quite frankly, what you're supposed to do is understand that's my position now. I, uh, 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 I have this position, but I'm not in that position yet. as of yet. I'm not a king priest as of yet. I'm in it positionally, but I'm not in it practically. I will be in the next age, in the, in the kingdom age. I will be in that role as king priest. So what I'm supposed to do now is live up to that position. I'm supposed to live according to that position. So if I'm a king, if I'm a priest, then what are my duties as a king-priest? What am I supposed to be thinking about, and how, does that, how do I live that out? So what your identity does is your identity tells you what you should be doing. So people are saying, I don't know what God wants me of you. Well then, look at your identity. Your identity will tell you what you need to be doing, first of all, and what happens is people don't know it, or they don't care about it, and they go with their worldly identity. They go with their front. And a lot of Christians just front. That's just the way it is. They front the Sunday smile. They front the, the goody two-shoes type of thing. But behind the scenes, man, they're just the same as a rank pagan. There's no, there's no difference. They're, they're saved and all. I'm not doubting their salvation. I'm just doubting their discipleship because they don't even know who they are. And because they don't know who they are, they live according to the identity that was formed and completed either from their family and their environment or their coach or their teacher or their identity that they chose to front with. And that's what they front with. And that's what they want you to see. But it's not really them. It's what someone told them. It's what Satan told them. It's what they they themselves told them. And, and, And so they go through life with this false identity of pretending to be something that they're really not. And that gets you off target because you don't know who you are. Again, I always reference this. Remember when Jacob's fighting with God at night? Remember that? They're fighting all night. And obviously, he's fighting with the Lord. And the Lord asks a very curious question. And it's like this What's your name? What's your name? God knows what his name is. Why is he asking Jacob's name? Because Jacob has an identity problem. Jacob will not admit really who he is and who the potential in him is as well. So God is wrestling with them. What is your name? I need you to first tell me your true self. You are the heel catcher. You are the trickster, aren't you? You're the one who put on a hairy coat and a garment and pretended to be your brother to to deceive your father, aren't you? Until you admit that part of you, then I'm not going to name your, your true identity because I need you to admit really who you are. And then once he does it and he admits it, what does he call him? Israel wrestles with God or struggles with God, or the other ter- interpretation in Hebrew is prince of God. That's his new identity. But his old identity had to go. You can't be this guy anymore and do this and come with me. This is your new identity, but I need you to give up this. And, and the wrestling is interesting. The wrestling, God's struggling with him and, 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 and then at the end of this, God taps his, his uh, hip socket And like completely just takes him down, like just like a toy, right? And obviously it's God and he can do anything like that. Um, But the the hip socket is interesting. The Hebrew, yes, it can be translated hip socket, but it actually can be translated as private parts. That he debilitated him in that area, not just his hip, but the whole area. I want you to think about that. So God debilitated him, if that's the case, if we can translate that way. And again, there's debate on whether you can translate that, but there's some some scholars that would say, yes, that's that's part of it. That he hit him right in his manhood. You get it? Took him down. It's not, you're not who you think you are. And that debilitation, whether it was the hip socket or wherever, um, he, he, that stayed with him the rest of life. He was walking with a limp. Why? Why would God leave him with a limp? You're not ever going back to that identity and I'm gonna keep a reminder on you that you're not going back to that because you're gonna be Israel and not Jacob. Anytime the nation of Israel will act like a, a, a goofball, God will call them Jacob. Anytime Israel is in good standing with God, he'll call them Israel. Isn't that interesting? And so it's to remind Jacob, you ain't going back, and and look what I did to your hip socket, we're done with that, we're done. And if I have to physically hurt you so that you don't go back to the identity, then I will. Because I can't let you live like that. And so what is this all about? It's about identity. And God's pretty serious about identity. He's willing to touch his hip socket or his private parts or whatever, if that's the case to debilitate him to say, you're done. You're done with that. That's a big deal for God, is knowing who you are. If you do not know who you are, you're not gonna live it out. Last one. One of the things about perseverance is you have to forget about changing people. Okay? It is not your goal to change everyone around you. that, that's, that you, You're going to die the death of a rag doll if that's your goal in life, is to change everyone around you. Uh, It's not gonna work. Uh, And this is why a lot of people give up and they don't persevere because their their focus is on the wrong change. You're not supposed to be changing others, you're supposed to be changing yourself. So if your focus is on others, others are gonna disappoint you because they're never gonna change and you're gonna give up. So the key is you have to worry about changing yourself, not about others. And last one, uh, quit being a people pleaser. If if this is your problem, that you want to make everyone happy, you're you're definitely not going to persevere, I can guarantee you that. You won't persevere because you're like the guy who when when persecution comes out and the heat gets on, you're like, I can't do this. I I, 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 I don't want to upset them. I don't want to make them mad at me, yada, yada. You will back off and you will be like the second guy that grew up in, uh, the seed grew up in rocky ground. So, a couple things to add to that, so you can take that to, to uh, to, uh, to mind, and then hopefully start applying that, okay? Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.